0: Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. I hope that in addition to um, to your Bible, you've got some way to take notes. And uh, I've said last several weeks, take notes. You can write down what's on the screen. You can write down passages of Scripture that come to mind. You can write down questions that you have, that uh, that you want to work to answer in your own study as we as you move forward from um, from this place this week. But I would encourage you to to take notes as we work through this passage today. Last week we began a conversation from Romans chapter 1 in which we talked about the wrath of God. And we talked about how it is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. I want to remind you of what I said last week, and that is that God's righteous wrath and justice is poured out on anyone who practices sin. Paul talks about those who exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship the creation rather than the creator. And today's passage is a continuation of what we talked about last week. So we had that. We're just going to build off of it. By the way, if you didn't see that uh, sermon or hear that sermon from last Sunday, I would encourage you to go back and watch it later just for context so you can see the story and the the, the pieces of the puzzle that are falling into place here. Romans chapter 1, we're going to pick up our reading in verse 26. So I want to encourage you to read along with me as I read out loud. <clears throat> for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that in these moments, your Holy Spirit um, reveals not only what your word says to us, but what it means. And Father, I pray that it will show us how then we are to take our lives and orient them to Scripture. God, you are holy. You are righteous. There is no God like you. Father, show us the ways in which we try to be God and try to take your place. And then, Father, would you show us what it looks like to live a life of repentance, of holiness in alignment with you. Father, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. This passage deals with, with two big things, okay? First of all, it very clearly condemns and deals with homosexuality. But then secondly, it condemns all manner of unrighteousness. And we're going to deal with both of these today. Um, it's, it's no secret whatsoever, and you could, you could, just a quick search, you'll find this. Uh, there are those who would like to outlaw this and other parts of the Bible just because they view it as hate speech and um, and if, if you have this and you, you proclaim this then you must hate everybody else and they see this as the biggest contributor to what they see is hate they see God's Word in that way And you know what in some ways they're not wrong because let's be honest there are parts of the church that has done a poor job of addressing same-sex attraction and homosexuality in general Unfortunately, when when a person thinks about Christianity and the gay community, what they often think about is Westboro Baptist Church holding up their picket signs and shouting out that, that God hates fags and you're going to hell. That's what a lot of people think about when they think about Christians and the gay community. But they're missing those messages, those signs, all of that is missing so much of the gospel. Now, I'll be the very first to say here today that we will not apologize for what the Bible says, and that any sexual expression apart from a husband and wife, man and woman, in the confines of a recognized marriage is sin. Anything beyond what God has deemed in those confines of a marriage is sin. Extramarital, homosexual, pornography, all of those, you talk about sexual sin, is apart from God's design. But I believe that we could hold to that in a way that shows the redemptive, compassionate, loving, and welcoming heart of God. When people view Christians as the the face of hate, something's wrong because Christianity is not a religion of hate. It's one spiritually poor beggar telling another spiritually poor beggar where they can find the bread of life and the fountain that will never ever run dry. Rosaria Butterfield is a Christian author and pastor's wife and is a a fantastic example of this and what this looks like. I'm going to read a little bit of her biography here. Raised and educated in liberal Catholic settings, Rosaria fell in love with the world of words. In her late 20s, allured by feminist philosophy and the LGBTQ plus advocacy, she adopted a lesbian identity. Rosaria earned her PhD from Ohio State University, then served in the English department and women's studies program at Syracuse University from 1992 to 2002. Her primary academic field was critical theory, specializing in queer theory. Her historical focus was 19th Central Century literature informed by Freud, Marx, and Darwin. She advised the LGBTQ student group wrote Syracuse University's policy for same-sex couples, and actively lobbied for LGBTQ aims alongside her lesbian partner. In 1997, while Rosaria was researching the religious right, and in quotation marks, their politics of hatred towards people like me, she wrote an article against the Promise Keepers. A response to that article triggered a meeting with Ken Smith, who was a local pastor. He became a resource on the religious rite and their Bible. He became a confidant and a friend. In 1999, after repeatedly reading the Bible in large chunks for her research, Rosaria converted to Christianity. She said that Romans chapter 1 was her downfall that brought her to Christ. The pastor who led her to Christ refused at first to argue about her le- lesbianism. Instead, he told her she needed to question her presuppositions about who got to call the shots in her life. Romans chapter 1, Rosaria explains, revealed my heart to me. In Romans chapter 1, she says this, Paul shows us that we all go through what Eve went through in the Garden of Eden. We have to ask, who gets to declare what is good? What is Lord of my life, my desires or God's word? She continued on, homosexuality is not the core of our rebellion against God. A desire to be God is. A desire to be the one who gets to declare good and evil, to play judge rather than be judged. A desire to use God's creation for our own gratification rather than with pleasure for his glory. So then as we come to this passage today, I want to remind us of what we talked about last week. Sin is this wrestling of control from God. It's wrestling for control from God. The core issue of sexual perver- perversion of, or sin of any kind is not in the act itself. It is in the battle for control. I want what I want. I want to be the one who can declare what is good and evil. I want to play judge rather than be judged. And as we talked about last week, I want to use God's creation for my own gratification rather than for his glory. And I think Rosaria, Rosaria Butterfield said it best when she said, It's the wrestling of Eve and the Garden of Eden all over again. Is God really who he says he is? Has he really said? Can he truly be trusted for my good? Man, that fruit looks delightful. There's nothing wrong with me eating just a little bit of it. And as soon as that bite is taken, our response is to hide ourselves away from the holy presence of God. I wanted to spend the first part of this time this morning by reminding us of the true core issue of sin. There's outward expressions of sin that we're gonna talk about in just a moment, but sin is truly nothing more than fighting for control. I just want what I want, don't care what anybody else, including God, has to say. That's sin. If the posture of your heart is anything but bent in submission to God and His will and His holiness, then you are in sin, and there's, there's no way to argue any differently. Now, three times throughout this passage, we see a variation of these words God gave them up. Okay? What does it mean that God gave them up? Like I said, we find it three times. We see it verses 24, 26, and 28. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up. Verse 26, "Uh, for this reason, God gave them up. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. Now, that God gives them over is the Greek word peridokin, okay? It means that God takes away his constriction of their depravity. And humanity is then freed up to indulge in its perverse desires, whatever those are. To give them up means to permit, okay? Permit. It doesn't mean that God is encouraging you to sin. It doesn't mean that God is leading you to sin. James chapter 1 tells us that God does not do that. God does not lead us to temptation, It's simply permitting mankind to sin, but they've then got to face the consequences of their decisions and their actions. When gratification goes unchecked, and there's no system in place for halting it. And people are allowed to do whatever they want. We find in verse 24 that their own bodies are shamed by their sin. You look at verse 25, it says that they serve the creation rather than the creator. Verse 26, they live in their dishonorable passions. Verse 28, they do what ought not to be done. That's what happens when gratification goes unchecked. So what this means And talking about God gave them up is that God simply allows people to go fulfill their own desires. They discard him and what he has said is right and what he has said is true and they go back just like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden and they say that I'm going to do what I want to do and it leads nowhere except to eternal death and deep dissatisfaction. Now, we're going to have a few, an honest conversation here for a couple of moments about homosexuality, and then we're going to move into talking about the other things that Paul mentions there, all manners of unrighteousness. Let's read verses 26 through 27. It'll be on the screen so you can follow along or read in your Bible. For this reason, God gave them up, there's that term again, to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women who were, and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Three times in those two verses, we find the idea of nature or what is natural or what is unnatural. Three different times. When you go back to the beginning of creation, what is natural is gender creation of a man and a woman procreation doesn't take place apart from man and woman the book of leviticus homosexuality is condemned for god's people twice it's condemned in first corinthians chapter six it's in the book of jude it's in first timothy mark chapter 10 we see jesus affirming god's design for marriage He says this, he says, From the very beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. God's word has made very, very clear what is sexually natural and right, and what's his design. Now, I think about, for just a moment, the culture in which Paul was writing to when he wrote the book of Romans. He's writing to a a city, a people who had sexual perversion all around. Brothels are absolutely everywhere. It's a culture of anything goes. If it feels right or if you want it, then take it. Um, Slave owners abused their slaves, boys and girls, constantly. Infidelity and immorality was frowned upon for women, married or unmarried, But for men, you could do whatever you wanted to with whoever you wanted to do it. And if you wanted to do it, who was going to stop you? The prevalent immorality of Rome is not a whole lot different from our culture today. If it's pleasurable, then it must not be anything wrong with it. If it feels good, why not? I should have the freedom to do whatever I want to because who's going to stop me? Even this week, our government made it easier to say, who's going to stop me? You don't have to leave even the comfort of your own home to have those gratifications fulfilled. Online pornography is readily available to you. You can, you can go there without it being public. Nobody has to know about it. But all of this, all of this goes against the natural, the right design of God for relationships. When you depart, and this is something for you to write down, when you depart in any way, in any way whatsoever from the norm of God's creation, you are defying the Creator. When you depart in any way from the norm of God's creation, you are defying the Creator. Furthermore, your departure from the norm of God's creation is indicative of lostness. Your departure from the norm of God's creation is indicative of lostness. There is reason to doubt true salvation and repentance and submission to God. Homosexuality is a clear departure from God's perfect plan. Now, there's a couple of, of, um, of current issues that are applicable to culture today that I feel need to be addressed here, here this morning in this setting. The first is this. The question is often asked, can I be gay and be a Christian? Can I be gay and be a Christian? Now, in this, let's remember what it means to be a Christian. Okay, here's part of what Jesus has to say about being a Christian. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, here's what Jesus tells his disciples. If anyone would come after me, let him Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You move ahead then to John chapter 3 and verse 16, the verse that we we know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I continue moving forward in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. A person cannot confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and live their lives as if they are Lord. It's two opposites. It can't happen. One or the other is Lord. It can't be both. A Christian is someone who has released control of their lives and they've given that control over to the Lord. You, Lord, are the one who has control of me, not me anymore. There is reason to doubt true salvation when a person is actively practicing homosexuality. And the same can be said of anyone actively practicing sin in their lives. There is reason to wonder about salvation simply because the heart posture is one of defiance to what God has said. So can a person be actively gay and be a Christian? Well, the Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But when the person remains active in their sin with no repentance, there's legitimate reason to doubt that salvation. Now, there's some people who are tempted with with same-sex attraction without acting on that temptation. Can that person be a Christian? Absolutely. Absolutely if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a, it's a promise. Now, does that mean that that salvation is gonna be completely taken away at the moment of salvation? Is this, does that mean, let me, let me rephrase that. Does that mean that, that the same-sex attraction is gonna be taken away with salvation? It might, but it might not as well. You know, it might be something that the individual continues to struggle with in the future. They pray for freedom from it. They seek accountability from fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. They pour themselves into God's Word. They seek to draw close to the heart of God, and they don't take action on that same-sex attraction temptation. Their heart posture is one of submission to God rather than submission to the sin. For years, churches have preached that you cannot be a Christian and struggle at the same time with same-sex attraction. But they haven't applied the same judgment on extramarital attraction of someone of the opposite sex. The Bible's clear that temptation abounds all around us. You see it, you feel it, you know it. You're not immune to temptation just because you're a Christian. In fact, Satan has your number, and he knows what buttons to push to tempt you to do all kinds of things that defy the glory of God. But here's the deal. I believe that freedom from temptation is available. And when James says in uh, James chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and what's the promise? He will flee from you. I believe that that provides hope unlike anything else for the Christian who struggles under the weight of sin, no matter what that struggle is. And here's the second issue I wanted to bring up when we talk about homosexuality. How does the church handle an actively gay church attender? With love and acceptance realizing that for every one of us, there was a time that we were sinners in desperate need of a savior and that somewhere along the way, in spite of our sin, somebody cared enough to love us and to show us the way to Jesus. I'm not saying that we accept the sin as anything less than sin or that we apologize in any way for the stand that we take regarding homosexuality. I'll also clearly state that this person can't become a church member They can't serve in a leadership capacity when in active sin and unrepentance. But I can't help but think that a lot of the hurt and hate between the Christian community and the gay community wouldn't be there if Christians would act a whole lot more like radically forgiven human beings. That means that if an openly, actively gay person attended our church, we welcomed them with open arms, showing the love of Jesus by the love that we have for them. But the prayer being that this person comes to faith in Jesus and is delivered from the hold that sin and Satan have on them and that he has transferred them, praying that he will transfer them from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2. God have mercy on us if we ever give the impression to any sinner that they're not good enough to be here. The foot of the cross is a whole lot bigger than we often give it credit for. When any person attends Salem, I hope that they are repeatedly and lovingly reminded to address their presuppositions about who or what gets to be in charge. That they're reminded that there's only one who has bought and paid for the rights to their lives through the shedding of his blood and that they can yield control to their lives, to him, and be saved from their sins. That's the kind of church I want for us to be. One where the sinner is welcomed with open arms, not expecting them to be perfect when they get here, but pointing them to a perfect Savior that we worship with our whole being. Along these same lines of what we're talking about, here's the next thing that we see in this passage, and that is that the world has an acknowledgement problem. They've got an acknowledgement problem. I'm going to pick up reading here in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. What Paul's saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that people first decided to not acknowledge God as God, and that's why all these other things happen. They're filled with all, mal- all manner of ri- unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. A murderer serving a life sentence in prison doesn't have a problem with killing people, they have an acknowledgement problem. The gossip doesn't have a problem with a loose tongue, they first and foremost have a problem acknowledging a holy God who is said to control the tongue. The child or adult who is disobedient to their parents don't acknowledge God and the authority that he's given to parents. John Piper was preaching on this passage years ago, and he said this, The root of all our problems in this world is that the human race has exchanged the glory of God for other things and that God has handed us over to bear the fruit of this exchange in 10,000 troubles, all of which should call us to repentance and worship rather than rebellion and atheism. When we exchange the glory of God for earthly momentary pleasures, it's going to result in trouble as we talked about last week. Our prayer should be that the consequences of our sin cause us to turn our hearts back to God. Some of you are this, this person who you are in the middle of trouble and consequences of decisions and it's all your own making, every bit of it. Those difficulties and those troubles that you're going through are there to turn your heart back to God, the only one who can do anything about it, the only one who can save you. Others of you are here, and you're thinking about family members who are deep in sin, in one sin or another, and you're seeing the consequences of their sin play out, and you're seeing the hurt that that causes. Those are there to point those individuals heart back to God and that's what we pray for that's what we long for restoration with our great God this past week I had an interaction with a really really angry person um, he was brutal in his language um, his opinion of me and of some other people it would have been really really easy to assume that this man's issue was anger But it wasn't. His issue was not acknowledging in that moment that there was a God that he would have to give an account to for how he handled himself and for his outburst in anger. And yet it was anger, even an outburst of anger, but deeper than that, it was rejection of God. And what God has deemed right and good, the infinite glory of God was exchanged For a momentary glory of man, and the one is completely unlike the other. So what do do we do with all this today? Where does this leave us today? Well, Paul's not yet gotten in his letter here to to where he talks about justification and sanctification, restoration with God. He's still got some more to say about condemnation. We're going to work through that uh, several, several more sermons but I think about another time in which Paul had a lot of very similar things to say to what he's just said here in in, in Romans chapter one, 1 Corinthians chapter six. Here's what Paul says, and he lists out some of these outward expressions of sin that he's talked about here in Romans chapter one. He says, "'Do you not know that the unrighteous "'will not inherit the kingdom of God? "'Do not be deceived.'" Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's some really bold language, similar to what he's used there in Romans chapter 1. But then here's how Paul follows this up in verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Did you catch the really important word there? And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And this is my prayer, that with Paul, I would be able to say the words found in 1 Corinthians six eleven about everyone within earshot of this message. Such were some of you, no longer, such were some of you. Now I'm not naive to think that there are not people who either regularly attend our church or maybe who watch online or go back and watch the week after to, to see our services. I'm not naive enough to think that they, there are not people who, who struggle with same-sex attraction or with immorality or with all manner of unrighteousness with any of those sins that's found in Romans chapter one. You might be here today and there is a secret sin that you've been hiding away for a really long time. Can I tell you that there is freedom in the name and the person of Jesus? He's waiting with open arms, ready to forgive, ready to restore you to fellowship with God the Father. He paid the high price of his very life for your soul. Run from the sin and directly into his loving arms. You don't have to be characterized by your sin anymore. You could take on the new identity of being the son or the daughter of the most high God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? Before I go into prayer here in just a moment, I just wanna just open it up. There might be some people here this morning or maybe you're watching online right now as I've been preaching, you're realizing, hey, he's talking about me. I'm the one that's in sin. I'm the one that is defying the glory of God. And if that's you today, then God's arms are open wide and he is ready for you. So come to him. In a moment when we sing, you can come up here and pray. You can grab a Christian friend to, to pray with you. I'll be up here. If you'd like to come pray with me, you can come pray with me. For our church as a whole, I hope that this is a church that holds in balance the reality of the sin with the compassion of the Savior that can be turned to when a person is in sin. That we don't apologize for God's word and the clear commands that we found there. But at the same time, we use the same scripture to communicate the hope and the life that is found in our all-loving God. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit in these moments has complete freedom and reign to do whatever he wants in our lives. If there are people who don't know you yet, may today be the day of salvation. Father, if there are people who have proclaimed that Jesus is Lord, but they're living as if they are Lord, Father, would today be the day of repentance for that? Father, I pray that you be glorified in our lives and in our church. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.